It's Monday, December 15th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Happy Monday, gents. Howdy. It's a new week. Good weekend? Great weekend. Really? Yeah. Had a, I was in a wedding, so. Okay. Great, yeah. great reunion. Very nice. Weddings are involved. Give us one affair. One without naming names, just one highlight from the wedding or the reception. Happened at the wedding since Friday got a little bit. Do you, re- do you remember actually what happened? Is that kind of where we're going with us? Yeah, that's probably where we're headed with this. Um, fr- Saturday, I think we went a little too hard Friday, so the wedding is actually a bit tamer than all of us were expecting. <laughs> we're going to dip into the full mailbag, but let's start with uh, the biggest deal of the year in its category, and that is PetSmart, which is being taken private by a group of private equity firms to the tune of $8.3 billion. It is the largest leverage buyout of 2014. When you consider, Jason, how this company has struggled a little bit over the last couple of years, maybe not all that big a surprise, uh, because over the long run, this is a business that's done pretty well. This is certainly a stock that's done pretty well over the long run. Yeah. But the last couple of years, it's it's kind of gotten Amazoned. Yeah, I think I think to a degree. I mean, you're certainly right. Over it has it's a stock that has done very well. David Gardner recommended this to stock advisor members back in 2005. Uh, to date, the stock is up almost 200 uh, percent and has thumped the market in the process by more than 70 percentage points. So, so investors uh, who who paid attention to his advice certainly have won during that time. Um, now, with that said, I think when you look at the the premium or lack thereof. That the that the company is being taken out for here. I mean, the stock's only up slightly today, but and I think that really that's a that's a recognition that the coming decade I think is going to be far more difficult for this company than the than the past decade. And and the internet has has obviously had a lot to do with that. Amazon, uh, as you mentioned, uh, it, you know, I think that the one thing that concerns me with PetSmart today as an investment. Is that it seems like they're letting that e-commerce train just kind of pass them right by? I mean, e-commerce is is still only about one percent of their overall sales, um, according to you know one of their investor presentations here just a few months back. Uh, now, now it's growing. They're putting more attention to that. But speaking as as you know, a pet owner, I have two dogs at home. Uh, I, I do virtually everything I can uh, online for them, save taking them to the vet for their annual checkups. Um, I mean, I. I just I think that's sort of the direction uh, people are, are going, and you know I take advantage of Amazon Prime and have those forty pound bags of dog food just yeah. dropped on my front steps. It's like I go home from work and it just magically appeared. Yeah, the bigger uh, the dog, the heavier the dog food. <laughs> yeah, and 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 you know I mean it, the pet the pet market out there, the pet supply and services market is, is huge. It's somewhere in the neighborhood of fifty six billion dollars today, and so I think that PetSmart's going to rely more on the services that they provide going forward: veterinary services, grooming, pet hotel. Uh, things like that, you know. I think those are lower gross margin offerings, but they're far more profitable on the bottom line for the company. And so, I think you'll see them uh, continue to focus on that, and probably focus less and less on growing out that that physical footprint. I have to believe that in 2015, we're going to see more deals like this. And we actually haven't had a ton of leveraged buyouts in 2014, historically speaking. I wasn't thinking so much. That category, as I was, retailers struggling recently and then being taken private. And yes, 
Pier 1 imports I'm looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, over the, over the weekend, uh, I, I took my daughters to Joanne. Uh, they like to craft stuff, and so, you know, we were... You know, is that a craft store like Michael's? Or? It is, yeah. Okay. And so while I is that was, a rule among craft stores? It has to be a, a proper first name. Perhaps. <laughs> I mean, I think there is there's certainly a, uh, a consistency there. And I I would say that you know those those stores are are huge and they they are the ones those are the two names that are really known for that market. And I think Michael's just went public this year. Joanne was taken out by private equity not too terribly long ago. And it, it strikes me that when you have a, a business that has sort of a stranglehold on that market like that, I mean, it's, it's understandable why private equity sees that as attractive. I mean, it's, PetSmart has you know better than twelve percent market share today, and that's grown uh, over the past you know six seven years. So it, it's a very relevant business. I think they just need to be a little bit more forward thinking in in their uh, in their digital sort of uh, play there, because something like Joanne, for example, I think it, it demands more of an in store experience. I think a lot of times people go in there and they're not sure what they want. They want to go through and look at the store and find what they want. Pets, that's a little bit more of a predictable market. You know, Pet owners know what they want and when they need it. Uh, so, I mean, I can certainly see this as, as an attractive opportunity for the private equity. I think they just really need to make sure to focus on that e-commerce uh, market opportunity going forward. There's no glitter sold at PetSmart, which is, I think, an awesome thing. <laughs> But there was, in fact, glitter purchased this weekend. Oh, no. For one of the Moser That's girls. The worst thing about the holidays, I swear. <laughs> Too much glitter? Oh, God. It's a lot of glitter. Radio at fool.com is our email address. And not surprisingly, a lot of email coming in lately related to the topic of oil and the fact that the price of oil has been dropping steadily over the last couple of months. From Steve Quinnell in Maui, Hawaii. How long can small companies like Clean Energy and Westport survive with $50 oil? I'm an owner of both these companies, and it doesn't seem like the thesis has changed. What do you think, Taylor? I think they can compete for a while. They're a lot smaller than they were at the beginning of the year. Um, both stocks have you know, kind of followed each other the past two to three years, uh, down well over 60%, 70% for both. Um, the thing with these guys is that natural gas and gasoline have already kind of, you know, natural gas has already won that battle so far. You'd have to really have $50 oil out for a long time, I think, before oil at the pump, which is what you're going to pay as a consumer, which is what's really going to challenge a clean energy fuels or a Westport for natural gas uptake on the engine side. Um, And I don't think oil will be competitive at the pump with natural gas um, unless natural gas decides to spike again. Uh, But there's so much production waiting in the wings that I don't think that's ever going to happen. Um, at least to, as far as these two companies are concerned. If I was choosing between the two of them, I think Clean Energy Fuels probably has a better shot. Um, they've been developing some partnerships this year. They just opened their first uh, pumping station for compressed natural gas with Mansfield um, in November. So that partnership's just starting to take off. Um, they took the lead. They started building the infrastructure out, not waiting for the engines to really uh, get the, the uptake necessary. Um, and Westport is slowly starting to la- launch engines. They've done uh, their 12-liter engine came out just a couple months ago. They were still waiting for the companies that are buying that in a trial and test mode to decide if they want to purchase you know, bulk shipments of these engines for their fleets. Um, so I have a little bit more confidence in clean energy fuels even though it hasn't turned a profit yet. I, I think that what they're doing and the direction they're heading, they're a lot less reliant on a small subsect of natural gas like Westport is. 
Yeah, I, as a as a shareholder of clean energy fuels myself, I mean, I, I think this is just the this encapsulates really long term thinking, and I, I'm I'm not worried at all because I, I, going into this investment, I mean, the the point, the thesis behind something like clean energy fuels is America's natural gas highway. I mean, they're building out this network to to really service the the transportation industry. I mean, so trucking first and foremost. Uh, along with airports, uh, fleet vehicles for government agencies, for states, for municipalities. And, and, and it just requires a much longer time horizon. They have to build out this network of stations in order for it to all work. And, and you know, it, it would be, I think, concerning if you had a company that was financially uh, not as healthy as clean energy fuels is. I mean, there is, you know, Dead on the balance sheet, no question there. But you've got some very strong financial backing and support from T. Boone Pickens himself, and we've talked about this before. You you, you want to follow these guys in the industry. I mean, these are not they're not dummies, and uh, and he he is uh, very, I think, very long term oriented when it comes to this business. And, and with uh, Andrew Littlefair, the CEO of the company, uh, I think together they are they're doing the right things. Short term, yeah, it's it's it's, it's a little bit of a hit and. Who knows when the market's going to start coming, uh, you know, coming to its senses on this one? But, but I think that, uh, like Taylor, I, I think that clean energy fuels is, is one that uh, has a bright future. Well, because you're, yeah, you're not going to see a technological breakthrough disrupt the infrastructure that they have set up. Whereas exactly. an engine could come out of nowhere, and Westport and its partners and could the, be uh, SOL. That's a great point. There, developments in, te- in technology, regardless. I mean, clean, en- clean energy fuels is going to need to provide a fuel, yep. and, and that that fuel isn't going to change. And I think that. Uh, I, I think that uh, the relationships, the relationships they're forming today, I think, uh, are, are good indicators of, of sort of the long-term thinking of those in the industry. Got an email from Simba Sabao. Apologies if I'm mispronouncing the last name there. Uh, in California, self-identified as listener number forty-seven and senior Laguna Niguel correspondent. That's nice. I, Sounds I, all right. You know, uh, that's great that we, you know, we have correspondence. All the way west coast and Hawaii. Today. Exactly. Oh my God, we're not just um, on the eastern time zone. Simba writes, with oil prices as low as they have come, this is obviously not good for many companies in the oil industry, but as the saying goes, buy when there is blood in the streets. <laughs> Where do you see possible buying opportunities here? And do you think this is an exaggerated exhale in the cyclical pattern of the oil markets or a real long-term adjustment as a result of the changing energy sector. Let's take the second question first, because I think that's a question a lot of people have. That's a question I have, and I'm not invested in any of uh, these companies. But I do. Good sort- for you. <laughs> well, well uh, you know, good for me over the <laughs> last right, couple of the months. Last June, they're, yeah. You know, for for long-term shareholders, they're they've done quite well mm-hmm. with a lot of these companies in the energy industry. But but I do look at this and wonder. Wait a minute, is this cyclical as we have seen in the past or is this a legitimate shifting of the tectonic plates I think it's the exhale uh, the exhale option you looked at so many things going right for oil prices over the last couple of years um, demand was still there you had a lot of instability in the Middle East you had Iran sanctions you had uh, then Russia and Ukraine um, got into that little spat so that was more natural gas oriented but uh, it, they're still pretty fairly linked especially in in East Asia where a lot of the natural gas pricing is linked to oil prices so there is some interplay there um, I don't think that this is a long-term blip I you know in my mind oil, is going to bounce back, but there's so much, 
there, were, there was a lot of exuberance behind oil companies and, and especially the fringe players um, that it's probably not going to shake out for at least another few months in my mind. Six months at the earliest probably because that's when OPEC's going to reconvene and talk about this little test they've decided to run uh, with 30 million barrels of production a day versus the U.S. And now they're t- now you've got the the threats of price wars and things like that. But I don't think it's a long-term shift in oil prices All right, because let's... it's going to continue to be more expensive to drill it. And unless there's a dramatic change in the way that we fuel the world, um, I don't I don't think oil is going anywhere in the next 20 to 30 years. Let's get to buying opportunities. Jason, what's on your watch list as you see the prices get more attractive. They are getting more attractive. I, I agree with Taylor. I think this is, you know, a bit of a of an exhale. I don't think that oil is going to be displaced any any time soon. So, you know, we always talk about commodities go up, commodities go down. And I can't tell you when it's going to go back up, but I think at some point it will. And I think that when you see this this sort of gloom and doom headline, it does open up our opportunities. I look at companies like Halliburton, just a tremendous global footprint, scale to really do anything they want to do and, and a relevance in this industry that will that will remain for some time. You look for the leaders, right? You don't have to un- unearth these hidden gems. There are a lot of them just right in front of us. And uh, I think Halliburton is one. I think National Oil Well Varco is another one. Uh, it wasn't all that long ago when management was calling this the deep water century. And, and, you know, I love that long-term thinking there. I mean, they're thinking 5, 10, 15, 20, 100 years out, not just next the next six months. Uh, and, and they invest accordingly. And then, you know, one that, that to me is has gotten just pummeled, and I understand why. It, it's it's a smaller cab, but it's Carbo Ceramics, and they make the propens, which is sort of just little sand granules for uh, these companies to to do their fracking. And I think as fracking goes, so goes Carbo Ceramics. Uh, there had been some uh, question out there as to the efficacy of the carbo uh, ceramic product versus just plain sand. Uh, that the the sand isn't as conductive, and that's being proven out. And there are uh, they're they're witnessing bigger players in the oil space experimenting with sand and going back to carbo ceramics products. And so I think you know rightly so the stock has been hammered because of some questions along with with volatile oil prices. But but again I think that their stock price is a good example of an overreaction for a, a financially fit company with good leadership and I think a, a product that is very relevant in the space today. Taylor, what are you looking at? That was one of the two that I had on my list as well. Um, Great months, think a lot. Can't argue, can't argue with that. <laughs> the in-house energy guy, I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, I mean, I went to Houston two year and a half ago with the group of guys from here, and we interviewed Floyd Wilson, the CEO and founder of Halcone Resources, and he had a binder of carboceramics propens on his on his conference table and slid it over to us and was like, "These are the guys we use um, because they're cut more customizable. They're they're more." Um, consistent when you when you order them because they're making these ceramic propens or they're resin coating sand so it's more expensive which is why they've been hit a little bit harder than their peers like high crush partners or u.s silica but when you're talking about the millions and billions of dollars that companies are spending to drill and explore for oil that that one expenditure that can really make a difference is the fracking sand or the or this or the propens so but like jason said this is tied to fracking almost 100%. So, if you're confident that U.S. fracking and the global fracking market are going to come back, 
this is definitely a fringe player that has a lot of upside because it has been sold down to the ground. I mean, it's down, I think, almost 80% this year. So Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a brutal, brutal year. It's very, very limited uh, downside now compared to what I think is the upside. And then if you hold their ticker symbol in a mirror, CRR, I like range resources, RRC, uh, natural gas player, um, the best positions in the Marcellus and Utica shale, tons of reserves uh, sitting in the wing to produce natural gas for for the next decade or two at least until they find some more. Um, and they're just churning cash flow. They have some debt on the balance sheet, but the near term is very secure for this company, and they've been paying that debt off pretty consistently. So um, those are the two companies that I think uh, have a good shot if you believe in energy over the over the long term. All right. Before we wrap up, uh, Jason mentioned Motley Fool Stock Advisor. Give the gift of Stock Advisor. Don't don't. Why not? Don't buy some gadget this year. Get 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 a subscription to Stock Advisor. Don't even have to wrap it. Don't even have to wrap it, and it just keeps coming every month for 2015. Stock ideas from David and Tom Gardner, and you can go to marketfoolery.fool.com. That's marketfoolery. Fool.com to get 75% off. Uh, makes a great gift. Uh, two things from my weekend I wanted to mention to you guys. One is yesterday I had to go to Tyson's Corner, oh. which for those who are not <laughs> from the DC area and familiar with it, Tyson's Corner oh. is a massive mall in Northern Virginia. There was no perpetually under construction. Perpetu- the whole area. Yeah. And uh, I had to go pick something up that had been ordered, a gift for uh, my daughters. And it was one of those things where, oh, we can deliver this to you in about a month, but if you want to come pick it up. <laughs> we, right. So I went there and parked the car. I, I go into the mall. I'm finding my way uh, to Pottery Barn Teen, which is where I was headed. Ah. And I walked by Justice. Now, a couple oh, weeks ago, yeah. when Jim Gillies was here, you two were talking about <laughs> Justice, and yep. I had never heard of Justice. I had never been to a Justice. I think you guys undersold how terrifying that store is. It, from a guy's perspective, <laughs> it is it is breathtaking. It is. What is this place? It is a. It's clothing for aimed at, I guess, tween, tweens, tween yep. girls, and it is sensory overload for your eyes and your ears. It's just this explosion of neon and not glitter, but sparkles, and then there's music pumping. And I just, I just stared at it. I just, <laughs> I just stood at the entrance of the store and I thought, oh my, this is exactly what Jason and Jim were talking and, about. And my girls love it. I mean, they abs- and I, I get that. That's fine. I get, that. I get it. I mean, I, I don't, I don't expect them to see it the same way I do. But yeah, I, I every time I go in there, it just, it, I, sh- I just shake my head. I'm like, wow, it's just. Wow. <laughs> um, and then one other uh, technology moment over the weekend. Uh, on Saturday, uh, went with my family to Arlington National Cemetery. They had uh, wreaths across America, which if, if you're not familiar, and prior to this year, I was not familiar with this program that uh, puts Christmas wreaths on all of the Headstones. At, it's an amazing at, site. Yeah. It's an amazing site. It's a. It, it's just a, a wonderful idea, and um, and it's just it's it's so moving. I mean, I think Arlington National Cemetery is one of those places that's incredibly moving anyway, <laughs> but uh, but especially so on, on something like this. And so there with my kids and there and and there are so many headstones, and it's not like we're looking for one in particular. We're just we're just putting them down. And my uh, um, one of my daughters. Uh, 
puts a, down a wreath. And I said, as I was going along with him, I said, well, let's make sure we don't just put wreaths down. Let's take a moment and let's look and see who is this person and, and just think about you know what their contribution and what they did, that sort of thing. And she puts a wreath down, and I, I ended up taking a photo of, of this headstone. And this, again, completely at random, Francis Xavier Kane, a colonel in the U.S. Air Force who served in World War II uh, in Korea, in Vietnam. It has uh, uh, his time on this planet, born December 12, 1918, died July 18, 2013. And then underneath that, it says military. And then at the very bottom of the headstone, it says, it reads, inventor of GPS. Huh? And I'm like, wait a minute, what? And, wh- and then when we got home, I just immediately, uh, immediately got on the Google machine. And yes, this was uh, this brilliant pilot who ends up not just flying missions, but also getting involved in leading edge um, military research into what ends up being GPS. Wow. <laughs> Which I just thought, just one of those random moments that, that, that just sort of stays with you more than, uh, than just when you're there. So, Boy, I imagine so. Anyway. On that note, Jason Muckerman, uh, Jason Muckerman, Jason Moser, Taylor Muckerman. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd, who's back and healthy. Deasy beasy. And for this, we are grateful. I'm Chris Hell. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>